0: The Eddie B. Sit edition, an audio series of the Talmud Bavli. Masichet Sukkah has been dedicated by Celia and Isaac Jamal, Hashem Aleyhem Yahyu Amen, for the Hatzlecha of their dear children. May they see much nachat from all of them. May they all grow up and get married in the right time and have children healthily, happily, with berachah v'aslakhah. And may they see uh, descendants and descendants of their descendants. Ad bi ad goel sedek. Amen. The Masechet has also been dedicated Bat Adel Ruah Hashem again by Celia and Isaac Jamal to school the today's Daf is being studied Amen today's is being studied Yosef ben Gurgia Elna Rifanalo, betushar Cholay Amo Israel, Amen. Today's daf is being started, by Shmata, Meru Hamet, Shanafterit, Pekesur, Yamim Vishanim, Mazal, Batfrida, Ruach Hashem, Tani Hema, Began Eden, Amen. Today's daf is being dedicated for the Rifu'ah Shalimah of Mordechai Zev ben Sara. We begin today's daf on Lamid Zayin, and we are going to start one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine lines from the top, starting with the words umi. <coughs> we learned in yesterday's daf the opinion of the Biyudah. The Biyudah said that for you can only use something of the four species. For example, you can use palm palm leaves or hadasim or arabot. Only something that's kasher for the four species, for the four minim, are kasher for the schach. Tirat Gemara says Umi Amar BiYuda Arbaat Minin Im Mide Did the bihuda say such a thing that only the four species? Yes, and uh, something else? No. The Atanya we have a bright a bin Nisarim shil eres. If you used for schach, nisarim nisarim would be. Planks made out of or boards made out of it is it is seemingly is cedar. So cedar wood, Dalit mm-hmm. if they have four Tefahim, if they're wide, called Everybody agrees they're too wide, it looks like a house, and therefore it's Pasul. If it's less than Dalit Tephahim, the bimir posel the bimir says pasul, but a biuda naqshir. But the BeYuda says it's kasher. Um, Rabe Miir, Rabe Miir agrees. Shemyes be le kimlo neser. If let's say you have a plank, and then in between each plank you have kosher schach, shemani apsal that you leave kosher so it's plank, kosher so plank, kosher schach, Everybody will say, even the Be me'ir that it's kasher. The point of the uh, question is, you see that the BeYuda allows a plank. Of three tefachim of eres. Now, assumingly eres is not one of the four species. It's not one of the the four raminim. <coughs> so the Gemara says, "My eres." Uh, when it says eres, what does Erez mean? Hadas. Uh, we thought eres is a type of cedar. No, the word eres can also refer to hadas. Kedrava baravuna, kedrava baravuna, sed damara baravuna, amri be rav, asara mine arazimem. There's ten different types of. It is, which when you say the word eris, it it's referring to ten different types of trees. and the pasuk says so The Pasuk refers to Eres and then says Hadas. So you see Hadas is also called Eris, it therefore it's one of the species, and therefore the Biuda is consistent to his opinion. <coughs> so therefore we answered that question. Okay comes the Gemara and continues. <coughs> we learned in the Mishnah regarding tying the lulav. Mm-hmm. So the Mishnah said, according to you have to tie the lulav with, again, only a species of the lulav, because otherwise it's going to be a problem of Bal-tosif. Whereas according to Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir says, now you can even use a cord, you can even use a linen uh, string to tie the lulav. So the Geberah says, Tanya, Amar Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir said, Ma'aseb Yaqiri there was incident with the Hashruv people, the important people of Yerushalayim, Shayu Ogdeenit Tuleveen, they used to tie the lulav, Begemoniot Shel Oh. With golden fibers, golden strings, right? So, what do you see from the b'meir that you can use anything? You don't have to use the actual species. Amru So the rabbis tell the b'meir v'shamra haya. You're bringing a proof from the people of Yerushalayim b'minoa you ogdin oto mle matah on the bottom they used to tie it with its species, which means the main tying was done with its species, which means what was holding the lulab and the not about together was the species. On top, they would just for decorative purposes, they would put golden fibers. So if we have no proof, which means if they would have done the whole thing with gold, you brought a proof. But no proof. The bottom of the lulab was tied with its species itself. Kamaz the continues, Amar de <laughs> Rabbah said to those that used to tie the Hoshanot For the house of the Rish Galuta Hoshanah is a terminology used for the Lulav and Arabah When you tie it up, it's now that... Uh, those three species tied together is referred to in the halakha as a hoshana. Mm-hmm. So Rava used to tell the people of the house of the Rish Galut, when they were tying up the lulav, he would tell them the following again. <laughs> now, the word <clears> that she says, m'gaddele <clears> hoshana, <throat> halulavim the ones that tied the lulavim throughout shas we see the word it always refers to a craftsman now you have to learn it according to the context of every gemara here we're talking about lulav so when it says the word it's the craftsmanship of tying the lulav and other gemariot it's referring to something else <coughs> In any event, what will he tell them? And we go back to the Gemara. Ki gadli to hoshana de beresh galut. When you're going to tie the hoshana of the resh galut, shire be bet yad. So he says, leave a little uh, protrusion on the bottom, which means why? Ki echid lo teve hatizah. So when he uh, when they go shake the lulav, when they're going to hold on to it, mm-hmm. I don't want them to hold on to the binding. I want their hands to touch the actual lulav, the adas, and the arabah. Rashi says, Mita'at le'eged, leave underneath the ties, igdo. I don't want them to hold it in the place where the tie is. The kasabar, in a a mitzvah. Oh, so very important. Rabah holds that the eged is not a mitzvah by like the opinion of the rabbis in the mishnah, the amri in salich So what's the problem? If you hold the not a mitzvah, it's going to be a hatitzah. It's going to serve as an interposition. Right? right? And therefore, he's telling them, listen, make sure when you do the... Uh, if, if you're going to do the tying, <coughs> make sure you leave a little space on the bottom where they can grasp it so you have no problem of Hatitza. So comes the... Now, it seems interesting also, of according to Ravah, it doesn't make a difference what they're tying it with. Whether you're tying it with the species of the Ludav, or you're tying it from species that's not of the Ludav. Either way, it's going to be a Hatita, therefore you have to leave a little space. So comes to Gemara and says, Rava Amar. Rabbah says, no. The first opinion was Rabbah, with a hair So now Rabbah comes along and says, No, kol eno Anything that's to beautify the Lulav is not considered a Hatithah. And since they're doing this for a uh, to make it beautiful, somebody that grasps it at the at the uh, place of the time, okay. it's okay. It's not considered a Hatithah. The Amar Rabbah says, No, Linkit, Inish, Sha'na, the person that's uh, performing the mitzvah, of taking the Roshana he should not hold it with a scoff. Why? <laughs> because you have to have a... A uh, complete taking. And the Torah says, It has to be complete taking. That if there's going to be a scoff in between. That's like a complete taking. that she says, mm-hmm. The scarf that he wears around his shoulders. Don't wrap it around his hand. And then uh, hold the lulav with it. The Rabbah comes again and says no. He says no. Taking the lulav even through something else is indeed considered a lulav. So therefore Rabbah argues on both of Raba's ruling. On the first ruling Rabbah said that when you tie it, leave a space in the bottom. Rabbah should have to leave a space. You can actually hold it from the tying itself. It's not considered a according to the second uh, case, you have a scarf in between Raba says, Raba says it's a problem, it's not considered whereas Raba says no in this case also, it is considered permissible (coughs) the only question is the first logic, Laba's mm-hmm. reason was, it's for beautification purposes. Right. So since it's for beautification right. purposes, it doesn't because of a hatzitzah. Right. But in this case, the scarf is not for beautification right. purposes. Right. So the could Raba say, it's okay. Mm-hmm. So that's the question that the Mephashim ask. So uh, the answer is that the Torah does not say anywhere that you cannot have a hatzitzah between your hands and the love itself. All the Torah says is what? That you have to take, a, take them. So therefore if um, one put a scarf in between his taking is lacking. However when you do let's say a, 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 a annoy something to beautify the lulav, so then that already that's considered taking it completely because it's part of the uh, lulav Itself. So by the same token, we can say that the scarf that's wrapped around his hand becomes an accessory to his hand. And therefore, since it's an accessory to his machine in the first case, it's an accessory to the lulav. Right. The second case is an accessory to his hand. And therefore, since, I'm not going to say it's adorning his hand, right. but it because yeah, it's part of his hand. And therefore, just like the lulav that has something on it for adornment is okay. So if guy has something on his hand for adornment or to it uh, accessorize it, it would be okay as well. Therefore, that's the logic of Raba. We go to the next case. How do I know? How do I know that if you do a taking through something else it's considered a taking, which is how do I know that if you take the scarf, it's okay. How do I know this concept? So she says, we're going to learn the Mishnah. The case over here is going to talk about the laws of para'aduma. We know the para'aduma, how do you do it? You take an izov, a hyssop, it's like a little bush, mm-hmm. and you have to soak it in the waters of the paraduma, and then you sprinkle. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about a case over here. Let's say they had the waters of a para'aduma in a tube. It used to be they used to transfer the para'aduma's waters, let's say, from place to place. How did they transfer the waters? They put it in a tube, mm-hmm. a tube. Now, the izov we're talking about is very short. And you're not gonna be able to stick the whole thing into the tube, but the whole izov is going to become saturated. Mm-hmm. So the Gebarah is gonna say, attach a stick to the izov mm-hmm. and then stick it into the, into the waters. Now, it's a mitzvah from the Torah to dip it into the waters. And still the Gebarah is gonna say you could do it through a through something else. You don't have to actually hold on to the izov when you're sticking it in. So let's read that case. Izov Qatar. Right? You have a short hyssop. You can lengthen it either with a thread or a spindle. A spindle like a little piece of uh, wood. You can dip it into the waters and take it out. And then you hold on to the ezov itself and you sprinkle. She's going to tell us, when you sprinkle... You can't use it with the uh, spindle or the string. Mm-hmm. You have to actually hold on to it itself. Why? Not because it's a hatita. Because when you sprinkle, you have to aim it on the guy that you're sprinkling it. Like, who gets sprinkled? became So therefore, for aiming purposes, it's much easier when you're holding the actual up itself to sprinkle. But for dipping purposes, no problem. You can actually use a davar because So amai. How could you use a, uh, a spindle or a thread? The Torah clearly says you have to take the hisap and dip. So it's a, it's a commandment for the Torah to dip it. And still what do you see? You see that a taking even through something else is considered a taking. Let's read the Rashi now to get the case. Ezov A shortened hisap Shayu They used to transport the waters of the hatat of the for the paraduma. They would transfer from city to city Bishop in like a tube of reeds. Instead to transfer, aruka, arukot, very long. They would store them for the purposes of purifying. The Tamir people ezov. They would dip the ezov in the water mm-hmm. ومزير, and sprinkle. Mm-hmm. now if the ezov is short, mm-hmm. When you stick it in the narrow opening of the tube, mm-hmm. which means uh, it's not going to reach the, the waters are not going to reach the uh, the, the top of the ezov right. because very narrow can only uh, stick a little of it in. So what does it say? Mesapeko, mm-hmm. ma'ariko, you uh, lengthen it. Kede sepuko, in order to make it longer. Bekush, kush is a plach, that's a spindle. Shana shim, that's what the ladies uh, weave with, a plach. Okay? Velakah, ezho ve'tavah, ve'may mish'at, tevilabainan, ha. even though the Suk says that at the time of the... Dipping you have to take it, <laughs> and then you 're not taking this up you 're taking a spindle that 's attached, right. so what do you see Elmamina <inaudible> as she says she, um, it is considered a taking when he's actually sprinkling. You have to hold on the ezov itself. Why? Exactly. When you're going to sprinkle it, you have to hold on to this, the item itself. Because as she says, if you're going to hold the it, idea, it shakes. And you're not going to have a good aim. But what do you see in this gemara? That even though you have something interfering, it's okay. So that's the Gebrahah's proof. So the Gebrahah says, no, Who told you that's a good proof? I can tell you over this, since the item, the spindle or the string is attached to the hyssop itself, it becomes part of it. However, when a person is holding the hoshanot with a scarf, the scarf is not part of it. The scarf is on his hand. And therefore, maybe it's not considered a taking. So therefore, you have no proof. Okay? That's the Kibaraz uh, rejection. So the Kibaraz says, fine. I'll bring you a different proof. Nafal mishifu la'shokit. Now, we know that uh, you have to put in that water ashes, okay. the ashes of the paraduma also okay. go into the water okay. now the Torah says you have to actually put the ashes into the water Venatan. Okay. as opposed to let's say they fell into the water by mistake okay. that's not considered legitimate so the Gebarah gives a case Nafal let's say you had uh, ashes a paraduma in a tube and by mistake it fell into the shoket shoket is the, the, uh, the trough that's where they keep the waters. It's like uh, they used to use always stoneware for the para'adumahs we learned because they didn't want it to become tamer. Stoneware doesn't become tamer. Mm-hmm. So let's say by mistake, they had ashes in a tube and it fell into the trough of water. So the Gebar says, Pasul. That's Pasul. It's invalid. Look at Rashi. Nafal m'shifuferet la'shoket. Afa efer hayum i'vim b'shifuferet. Rashi said so they also used to bring the ashes in the shifuferet, in, in tubes. Umekedishin bo b'shoket. And they would... They would sanctify the waters of the paraduma in a shoket. What's a shoket? As she says, Shil a stone trough. Why? Because all the service of the paraduma was done with stoneware. If they were able to, they would take the ashes that were in the shofar and they would pour it into the stone. You'd have to put the ashes on top. First you'd have water mm-hmm. in the stone. Oh. And then you'd add the ashes on top. First we put the water in the keli. Right? You cannot put the ashes first. Good. Okay, so let's just ask another question. It says in the pasuk veratan alav ma'im. It's special that you put on the ashes water. It's special that the uh, that the ashes come first. Right. So he says arban. We learn over there that all that means is after you put the ashes, you have to mix it. Right. See, the water will go then on top of the ashes, which means by mixing it, the Inkish Now let's say when you were coming to sanctify nafala for shoket the. Ashes in the tube fell into the trough. Shalom mm-hmm. imitkaven, without kavana. Pasul hakidush. The sanctification is pasul. The pa'inan filak'hu me'afas serifat ha-chatat You have to take the ashes and place them. She lokeyah biyado venoten. Not that they fall in by themselves. So the Gevara continues on the Hamud Be'er. The makes say diyuk. Ha-hipilohu kashev. But let's say the guy intentionally took from the tomb and poured it into the water, it's going to be kasher. Now even though he's not holding on to the ashes themselves, he's holding on to a tube right. that's interfering mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. ashes. And the Torah says, mm-hmm. The Torah says you should take the ashes and place them. You should take them in your, hand. in your hands. Mm-hmm. And here you're pouring it through a... Uh uh of shifu. So you see what? It's not a Hatiza. So the Gaboras says Edelov Swami Nah, the kihay de Mana Hai Shimelikiha. So you see that's La proof. And it's exactly like the do love. Which is, you can't say the Shifu is becomes part of the ashes. No, the ashes are sitting in the Shifu fayret. And still when the Torah says, Velaka, take them, it's considered taking. So, Tuba the Lulav. Torah says, take the Lulav. So, I have a uh, scarf around my hand. It should be okay as well. So, that's the bottom line proof for Ravah. Okay, now we're going to give some other rulings that Ravah made. Vama Ravah. Another case. Lo ladutz inish lulava bo shana. A person should not, literally, do just to poke the lulav into the Hoshana after you tied it. Which means, let's say you took your hadas and Arabah, mm-hmm. and you tied them. Right. Okay, but now you got to stick the lulav in the middle. So just don't stick the lulav now, in between the hadasim and the Arabah that you tied. Why not? So the Gibra says, the Dilma because we are worried when you're going to poke the lulav in between, it's going to cause some of the leaves of the hadas and the Aravah to come out. Right? And what's going to happen, so what's going to happen is, it's going to serve as a hadas. Because the loose leaves now, right. are, they're not attached anymore. So they have loose hadasin between the hadas and the lulav. They're not attached. And if we hold that's going to be considered a um, hadas. Okay, so therefore, again, Rabbi is giving you advice. If you, if you make the tie, don't, don't stick to it the oven, because right. it's going to strip some of the leaves, mm-hmm. and the leaves are going to become a uh, hatita. Right. Now, so you put it together and then tie it. Right, put them all together, mm-hmm. and tie everything together according to him. Now, even though uh, Rabbi himself hold, held, and as he told us on the Amud Rishon, Rabbi says, you don't need to make tying. He's of the opinion that tying is not considered a mitzvah. And he was telling you when you're going to tie it. Right. So the Mephashim uh, say that, uh, according to Rashi, so he says that according to Rashi, the holds that uh, these things do not have to be uh, bundled, so they why should he be concerned about the loose leaves and all these things over here? So he says that according to Rashi, even though the species do not have to be bound together, they have to be held together in your hand. That much... You, have to, you don't have to tie them, but they have to be all together in your hand. And therefore, uh, he's concerned that if you're going to uh, hold them together in your hand and stick it in after, so it's going to be a hat So the tying is not nece- ne- ne- necessary, but the holding it together is. And that's why he's talking about this case. Ravah, Amar, Ravah says, no, It's a very important rule according to Ravah. Ravah says, like items don't serve as a hat Which means... You're worried about now the hadas, uh, or the aravah that became stripped, yeah. mm-hmm. serving as a hadas between the hadas and the lulav. Since it's its own species, it's not like you have a, uh, a piece of cardboard separating mm-hmm. between the lulav and the hadas. Right. You have a piece of hadas separating yeah. between the lulav and the hadas. That's like considered a hadas. It's called mean bimino. Two like species do not serve as a hadas. Therefore, he says, it is okay. Okay? i go to the next case. Next case of Rabbah. The Rabbah. If let's say he made the bundle, he tied it up, he should not cut the bottom of the Lulav. I guess he wants the Lulav to you know, protrude upwards. So he doesn't want to have you know, a lot of Lulav on the bottom. Right. So what does he want to do? He wants to cut now the bottom of the Lulav. Don't do that, he says. Why? The Hutsa some of the leaves, which has the leaves of the lulav are going to remain above where you cut, untied, and it's going to serve as a hatzitzah. Why? Because when you cut the bottom, uh-huh. you're actually slipping the leaves. Right. Then the leaves go up. So those leaves now that are above, that are still attached to, to, to the hoshana, are not attached to the lulav itself. Because uh-huh. when you cut the bottom, right. Right. you slip leaves. Uh-huh. And therefore, what's going to happen, those unattached leaves to the lulav are going to serve as a between the lulav and the hadas and the arava Because I can't say the lulav anymore mm-hmm. It's detached So therefore he says that that is uh, a problem as well Okay So which means it's exactly what he said in the last case The last case he was talking about it That the leaves of the arava and the hadas are going to be the hatitza. Right. Now he's going the other way right. The leaves of the lulav are going to be the Hatitzah. and then that rabba comes along and says no. The rabba Amar min bemino enochotseh. Same answer. He says no. Same, La- same species. Not considered Hatitzah. Now we go to the next ruling of rabba. Amar abba hadas shel mitzvah. Okay, the hadas of the mitzvah that you use it for the holiday asur lehariachbo. You're not allowed to smell it during Sukkot. Okay, etrog shel mitzvah, but the etrog for the mitzvah of Sukkot mutalariachbo. It's permissible. To smell it, so we have to see what's the difference between hadas and araba. So the Gemara says, "My tama, what's the reason?" Hadas, hadas d'leha ke'e, hadas. What's its main function? Hadas, smelling. That's true. You don't eat hadas. Hadas's main purpose is what? it stands for smelling uh-huh. so therefore when you designated it on the holiday ki aksiyeh. when you set it aside for the mitzvah mideha aksiye, which means you took it out of its normal function of smelling now it's not for smelling anymore uh-huh. now it's for the mitzvah and therefore you can't smell it anymore because it becomes like Kodesh. Now it's, right. it's used for the mitzvah. However, etrog, what's the main function of etrog? The main function of etrog is eating. Mm-hmm. So therefore, mm-hmm. ki aksiyer me yeah. When you designated for the mitzvah, you said, I'm not going to eat it. Right. But you didn't take it away from smelling. No. So therefore, hadash, you can't smell on the holiday. Whereas etrog, you would be allowed to. Look at d'ashi. Uh, That's yahbo. That's way down there. Asul mm-hmm. yahbo. We learn from sukkah. Just like we say the s'chach becomes kodesh right. for seven days because you designated it, so too the four species become kodesh for seven days. You cannot use it for any other purpose, right? So since the Hadass, its main purpose is what smelling. So when I designate it for the mitzvah, I'm taking it out of... Mm-hmm. Smelling. Itrog, the main function is eating. So I'm taking it out of eating. That is the whole mahlokan amongst the nishonim, that even though you're allowed to smell the Etrog are you allowed to make a beracha on the Etrog There's one thing you have to smell, but to make a beracha, the beracha would normally would be hanotin leyatov, the perot. So that's already the nishonim. Malam brings down the opinions. And therefore, la really, if somebody wants to smell the Etrog they do not make a beracha. On the itrog itself uh, They should smell another fruit mm-hmm. And then uh, smell their uh, itrog uh, uh, Following that In any event The gemara continues okay, Next case <coughs> okay, we talk about a case of Shabbat now You have a hadas attached to the tree Is it permissible on Shabbat to go to the tree And smell the hadasim and You're allowed to smell on Shabbat the Problem is it's attached to the tree do I say that maybe if I allow you to smell it, you might come to pull it off the tree or not? So he says, Hadas You have a the tree, Mutar He says, Yes, it's mutar, it's permissible to smell it. mechubat, but you have an Etrog that's attached to the tree? So that's the question. What's the difference between hadass and 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 itrog. So the Gemara says, mm-hmm. what's the what's the logic? Hadas mm-hmm. What's the purpose of the hadas? The hadass stands for smelling, mm-hmm. right? If you cut it from the tree, what do you do with that? That's you smell it. So therefore, If you allow the guy to smell the hadass that's attached to the tree, he's not going to uh, uh, he's not going to cut it off. Right. Why? Because uh, he's benefiting it in the way he normally benefits. Right. So why should he cut off the tree? Bottom line, he normally smells it, so he's going to go and uh, smell it. However, etrog <laughs> da <laughs> But what is the purpose of an etrog? The purpose of a etrog is really for eating. <laughs> if you can allow him to uh, smell the etrog on the tree, ate <laughs> le'migzeyeh. You might come to cut off, eat it to eat it. Right. Or even better, you might take a bite out of it when it's on the tree. That taking a bite out of it on the tree is tantamount to Taking a fruit off a tree So therefore the trog would be forbidden to smell it on its Tree Look at that she <que> <baby> Hadas you can God, mother, to it. So, we you can smell it fine when it's attached. you're not gonna forget and pull it off and and smell it. you're smelling it just as well when it's attached. So, there's no גיזר that you might pull it off. But the the primary function is what? Eating. When he's going to start smelling it, he's going to forget the talish. And he's going to pull it off the achile, And he's going to end up eating. Because the main function is eating. So we're worried that he might forget while he's smelling and pull it off the tree. And even if he bite takes a bite out of it when it's still attached... <laughs> that she says, that's also considered todesh Which is, bottom line, you're, you're, what's the difference if you pluck it off a tree Or you bite it off the tree Bottom line, you're taking something from its source of life And you're uh, removing it So therefore that's the difference between And a, I'm sorry, and a, trog and a hadas Now we go another ruling of rabah Good when you're shaking the lulav and the uh, etrog, the lulav goes in the right hand mm-hmm. and the etrog goes in the left hand. That's the proper way of uh, holding it. So the Gabarah says, my what's the reason? Hani tlata mitzvot, mitzvah. Which means the lulav has three mitzvot in it. That's lulav, So it's got the majority of the mitzvot. Where the etrog is only one mitzvah. So you put the majority in your right hand. Uh, so that's the logic of the of the gemara so comes the uh, comes the gemaran says amar le, let's see where this Rashi over here now comes the gemaran continues amar le rabir Rabbi rbizrika mai ta'am lo mvarchinan ela al titlat lulav Another question. Why is the beracha that we make on the lulav, which means you're taking four species. Why, why, why do you specifically uh, single out the lulav? So the Gemara says, which maybe, maybe you should make a beracha, you know, maybe Allah uh, arba'at minin, or something like that. So comes the Gemara and says, since it's higher than all of them, it's taller than all of them, so the Gavara says, if that's the concept, taller than all of them, so when you're holding it, lift the Etrog higher than all of them, that make a on the Etrog. So the Gavara says, no, which means, in its natural growth, it's taller than all of them. Not the way you're holding it, unless like you can put the Etrog higher, but in its natural state, it's higher. And therefore, since that stands out, more than any other species, so therefore the Barachan is going to be, Lulav. <laughs> Okay, so that's the uh, We answer two questions Why the love is in the right hand And why the Barakah is on the it So Rashi says mm-hmm. It's most important So the whole species The whole tying of the love is called Lulav, because it's the highest one mm-hmm. So the Gabor of Rashi much higher the Yitrog. Which is, we thought it's higher the way you're holding it. Because we learned that the, um, above we learned that the Lulav has to protrude above the hadas naraba one Tefah. So we thought that's why it's higher. So if that's the case, put the Yitrog higher and make the Merakhan the Yitrog. So the Gibral says, no. Since. In its species, bimino. Meaning, when it's on the uh, on the tree, That's it's the biggest uh, species out of them all, just for the natural growth. So that's why it gets the uh, longer. Uh, they get, that's why it gets the uh, Okay. Now we go to the next mishnah. Now, our next mishnah is going to discuss the law of the ni'aynuim, which so is besides the taking of the lav and etrog. Halakha is going to teach us now That you have to wave the lulav And the At different points of the hallel, mm-hmm. Like we do mm-hmm. So the Gemara, the Mishnah Now is going to discuss Where exactly in the hallel Are you obligated to do these uh, Ni'nu'in So the Mishnah begins Where did they uh, used to make the ni'nu'in Where did they used to wave the lulav So the Gemara Mishnah answers Behodu la Hashem in the Halal, we say, Hodu La Hashem Kitov, twice. Once at the beginning of the Halal, mm-hmm. and once at the end of the Halal. So that she learns to give Mishnah to be saying, you, you do it twice. One at the first Hodu, right. and one at the last mm-hmm. Okay, That's the way that she understands. Okay? Now, uh, the Mishnah continues. Ub'anna Hashem and you also, during the Hallel, we recite the Pasuk, Anna Hashem Moshi'ana, at the end of the Hallel, so we also wave it over there. D'veret Betel, let's go to Betel, Bet Shabbai At Af B'Anna Hashem mm-hmm. But Bet Shabbai says, you even shake it at, Anna Hashem Hatslihanah. Now, uh, the Mephashim explained, that this whole shaking of the Lulav, during the Hallel, is actually based on a Pasuk. The Pasuk says, that, then the um, the the uh, trees of the field will sing to god after God comes to judge the world, God judges the world and Kippur mm-hmm. after the judgment is over, we want to show that we were victorious in our judgment so we take it, That's mm-hmm. so then the uh, the uh, Trees of the field will come and praise you. And the reason why that's an indication that humans came out victorious in their judgment, because humans are compared to trees. So therefore we're taking the trees, so to speak, right after the Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, and we're using them to praise God. Now the Pasuk continues. Hashem Ki Tov, So the Pasuk is telling us, where do we... Do the praise? We do it in the pasuk of Hodu Hashem Kitov, and then the next pasuk says Veimru Hoshiayenu, the way which would be a reference to the pasuk of Na Hashem Hoshiana. So, therefore, Betalez logic of Hodu and Na Hashem Hoshiana is actually based on the pasuk of As Yiranenu asayar Sehayar Hashem Kibal Shmot HaTaharis Hodu Kitov Veimru So, therefore, that would be the uh, proof for. Uh bet, In any event, that's the famous machloket. You have to shake the love during Ana Hashem mm-hmm. Aslihana or not. So comes the Mishnah, continues. I'm going Akiva. The Akiva says, Sofei Aiti, but the Bankam never be I was watching the Bangam Liel and the Yosho and they were saying the Halil. Shekola Am, you men na'nein etlu levehem. Everybody was waving their lulavim. Vehem lo ne'aneu ella be Ana Hashem Hoshihana, which means they. The congregation, it seems, were following Bet-Shavai. Mm-hmm. They were waving it during even an Astihana. But those two rabbis, they were only waving it according to bet during an Hashem Hoshiana. So they were following the uh, opinion of bet Now, of course, everybody was shaking it during hodu Hashem Kitov, because there's no machlok about hodu Kitov. So you see that they were following, obviously, the opinion of bet Now, uh, question is, what do we need this story for? Don't we know the halakah? Follows Betelil, so it seems in those days the common accepted practice in the synagogue was Bet Shammai's opinion. Mm-hmm. So they're saying even though it was the common practice for many synagogues to follow Bet Shammai, still the halakha follows Betelil, meaning you don't have to shake it during. And Hashematsi and that story uh, supports that uh, that opinion. Okay, so now the Gemara is uh, going to start to analyze. Who discussed the law of shaking, which means normally the style of Mishnayot is... First you have to establish, there's a mitzvah to wave the lulav. Right. Then you establish it, then tell me where. Here the Gemara just jumps okay. into step two. Where do you shake? Who well, don't you have to shake it at all? Don't you have to wave it at all? Who's, uh, yeah. who discussed this discuss, concept of the Nu'ah in the first place? So the Gemara says, no we discussed it already. We learned at the beginning of the, in, the, in the parik. What did it say in the first Mishnah of the parik? We said that the lulav has to have three Fahim height, Plus an extra tefah in order to shake it. so Which means when the Mishnah said you have to have an extra tefah, so when you shake it, it will be recognizable. So you see what? The Mishnah did discuss the concept of shaking and waving. So now the second Mishnah says, So now Mishnah is picking up on that Mishnah. Okay, where do you have to wave it? You told me the first Mishnah, you got to have an extra tefah, so the waving is going to be recognizable. Okay. So it's falling back on that original Mishnah. Teranatam. Now we're going to discuss the procedure. We learned over there in a Mishnah. Now on Shavuot, there was a special kurbanot, it was called kivse Aseret, the uh, lambs that they would bring on Shavuot in the Beit HaMikdash, and they would also bring with them Shte'al Leham, two loaves of bread. Now the procedure was, when the animals were still alive, they would put the breads on the animals, and the kohen would have to wave them. So we're going to learn the laws of waving the lulav, we're going to learn it to a similar case when they did it in the Beit Hamikdash on Shavuot with the lambs and the bread. bread. <laughs> so now the uh, the Gemara says, We learned over there, "Shtei alechayim," the two loaves of bread, "Ushne with the two lambs of Shavuot. "Kesadu how did they wave it? Look at Rashi, "Kesadu osir," "Otam shu There was two wavings that she's going to tell us. One time they would wave the animals when they were alive. Mm -hmm. And then after they were slaughtered, they would wave them a second time. We're discussing now the first waving, when the animals were still alive. (laughs) They would wave the lambs with the bread. The animals were still alive. And we put the two loaves of bread on the actual lambs of Okay, fine. Which means the bread goes on top of the animal. Now, comes the Gimaran tells us how they did it. You put the loaves on top of the lambs Then you would, the would put his hands underneath the animal okay. And he would start to wave them How? Which means first he would be He would bring them back and forth mm-hmm. right? Away from him and then towards him And then raise them up and down so those were uh, the four the four positions, which is towards him, and back and then forth, and then up and down. hunaf, The pasuk says it has to be hunaf. Hunaf is waved back and forth, and huram is up and down. Mm-hmm. So those are the uh, directions, that the way he would uh, do it. Okay? So it's, uh, it's lifting and lowering, and then going uh, back, And fourth, those are the uh, positions that he would do it. So comes the and says, Molichu What's the logic of going back and forth? What's the what's the symbolism in that uh, waving? Le Shehar Baruchot which means you're doing it to, to the to the God that the four directions belong to Him. Which means the waving over here is done to the sake of Boreh uh, Olam, who owns the four directions. Which means when you're going back and forth, right. you're trying to show uh, that all the directions belong to... Mm-hmm. God, God is uh, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that's the Molich uh, Umivi. Which means uh, every direction they would do that. Which means when we do the dulab you go right. every direction. Which means you know, back and forth. Right. To show every direction right. is Ma'ale umurid. When you go up and down, what's the symbolism? Right. So the one that the heavens and the earth belong to him. So back and forth, the symbolism is the world belongs to God, which means all the directions in the world, up and down the heavens and the earth. So that's the symbolism in that. The In the Ma'raba, in the Western they they learned the following. The reason why you go back and forth, كَدَيْ ruhot laot, رَعُوتْ It'll stop to ward off harmful winds. Just like the winds, you know, they go laterally back and forth. So too when you're waving the lulav back and forth, it's able to stop harmful winds coming into the world uh, uh, on that year. And again, you go in every direction, so it's affecting the winds of the coming year, right? o morid. You go up and down, That wards off damaging dues. Which means the do comes somewhere, the heavens. It seems there's good do and there's negative yeah. for do. So therefore when, they, when you shake it a lot up and down, it's impacting the dues for the coming year that they should be positive. Uh, let's see uh Okay she just the three lines on the bottom Lemi Sharbaru anu osim lishmo. When we're shaking the lulav, it's for his name to show that he's all over. When you're going forward, you know, straight uh, t- uh, back and forth, that's to show that he's in all directions. And up and down, it's he owns the heavens and the uh, and the earth as well. Baruch <laughs> Amen Amen.